You're listening to Range Minded from Independence Indoor Shooting. In case you didn't know, you can now find Range Minded on iTunes and Stitcher. So please subscribe to us from wherever you get your podcasts so you can get new episodes as soon as they go up. This is episode 15, where we sit down with Bill Hanley, one of our instructors here at Independence. He also served in the Marine Corps and was in law enforcement for a very long time. So he has decades of experience and knowledge that we try to pick his brain about, specifically when it comes to training and continued education with firearms. If you've never taken a firearms training class before, this interview will convince you to sign up. As always, thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy episode 15 of Range Minded, the Bill Hanley interview. Hello, and welcome to Range Minded, episode number 15. 15 already. Yeah, we've got 15 episodes on iTunes and on Stitcher, so please subscribe. Uh, that way you can get to the episodes as soon as we release them. Yes. Usually every Sunday or Monday. Ish. Depending. <laughs> <laughs> um, but always once a week. I'm joined with Ricky Kasner, Steve Zimmerman, myself, Mark Long, and we have a special guest today. A special guest. Not very special. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one of our... Awesome instructors here at Independence Indoor Shooting, Bill Hanley. Hello. Hello. Welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you. We wanted to focus on training today. We haven't uh, really done a full episode on training. Right. Um, and we thought, what better way than to have an instructor with us? A professional. Who, who has done a little bit of training here and there. <laughs> we use that word professional very loosely, please. <laughs> uh, I can actually personally attest to how great of an instructor you are, Bill. I took into the an intermediate pistol class a couple weeks ago. And I want to say uh, I was at the competition yesterday, and you helped me change my grip just a little bit. And I outshot John. Oh, that's saying a lot. And I outshot Scott, the two best shooters in the competitions. That's because I wasn't there. It's It's funny, the evaluation you wrote and gave to Ricky uh, didn't reflect that at all. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, it's. uh, I really enjoyed the instruction that you give. It's clear, concise, with just enough repetition to, to keep it in your head. Yeah, because it would be bad if it was vague and kind of murky when you're dealing with firearms, wouldn't it? Yeah. 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 <laughs> that would be a bad thing. <laughs> really yeah. beats the alternative. So. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, let's start at the beginning. How did you get involved with instructing um, and doing firearms training? Um, it uh, went back to the Marine Corps. I spent four years in the Marine Corps and a little more than uh, 27 years on the job as a, as a police officer. And uh, in the Marine Corps, I... I uh, uh, was a machine gunner, which is uh, great. O three thirty one. You don't have to be really super exact. You know, it's Marine. Take the hill. Take it where, sir, and spray it with bullets. You know, it wasn't. <laughs> but uh, the Marine Corps uh, taught me how to instruct, and I would go on to get a uh, bachelor's degree in adult education, and specifically how to teach um, adults, because. Uh, you know, teaching a 20-something-year-old in class is different than teaching a 7-year-old. In some cases. In some in cases, some cases. <laughs> depending yeah. on the adult. Right. And then uh, in law enforcement, um, I got the opportunity to go to a host of different—well, I'll be real honest with you. What we used to do is we used to go out and give a hand with the FBI when they were doing the basic academy class. And— uh, Back then, the FBI would come in and teach uh, basic firearms to the academy classes for free. And they don't do that anymore. So we would go out and help as range safety officers, because you'd have an academy class of 100 people and two FBI agents running it. And we got to know, uh, at that time, his name was uh, Ron Fagalti. He was a field agent out of the FBI office in Los Angeles and just a, a former Marine, so we had a lot in common and a pretty salty character. And from him and watching him, I learned uh, through just kind of mentoring quite a bit about how to teach. And uh, he paid us an ammo. We could shoot all we wanted. So we got some hands-on instruction. And then from that, I ended up in uh, at, at, at uh, Gunsight under uh, Jeff Cooper. The legendary yeah. Jeff Cooper. Yeah. The legendary Jeff Cooper, yeah. Jeff was uh, still running... Um, Gunsight, the American Pistol Institute at the time. And then I went back a second time shortly after Jeff left. And um, from that, there's just been a host of uh, firearms classes, the uh, FBI uh, firearms instruction course, which was excellent. I went to H&K's USP pistol course, and they have a a week of just the USP pistol and then a week on how to teach. So H&K... 
several years ago now, as I look at the calendar, it's been <laughs> a little longer than I re- care to remember. Anyway, they used to teach really well. And then um, I try to keep that training up on a pretty regular basis. Uh, most recently has been uh, Dave Spaulding's classes with uh, handgun combatives, mm-hmm. who I think flat out is probably one of the most... Uh, the, uh, Jeff Cooper of 30 years ago, Dave Spaulding today, when it comes to teaching and using a pistol, is, uh, is he's today's Jeff Cooper. So that and a host of other classes associated with, you know, police, uh, shotgun, pistol, uh, bolt action rifle, those kind of things. Very cool. Yeah. And so you've been teaching for almost three decades then. Boy, when you say it like that. <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think it's been quite that long, but uh, it's, it's been a little while on and off. It wasn't my primary job. It was my secondary job. I was a police investigator and detective for the bulk of my career. Um, I was a detective sergeant, ran a unit, a homicide unit and a robbery unit for a little bit and um, uh, in, encompassed in all of that because of budget constraints. I, I pitched in with uh, teaching pistol and qualifications and things like that. Right on. Cool. Well, what would you say your favorite medium is? Handgun or you like yeah. rifle, shotgun stuff? Handgun? No, it would be, yeah, right. Yeah, it would be definitely be a handgun. Um, I understand how to run a shotgun. I understand how to run a uh, carbine. Mm-hmm. Um, I understand how to run a bolt-action rifle pretty good, but uh, teaching-wise, my I stick just to pistol because it's. Uh, I, I think I can do it better than others. If you want a handgun instructor, I, I can I can probably take care of you. <laughs> if you want a uh, AR instructor, probably best to go find someone that used that <laughs> on, a, on a pretty regular basis. Sure. So, how would you say that your experience in law enforcement uh, has helped with your education and training uh, as an instructor? I, I think uh, uh, part of the job uh, that I had uh, for quite a while was investigating uh, a variety of shootings, both officer-involved shootings as well as uh, uh, crimes and as well as justifiable shootings. So there's a real-world uh, application for what actually takes place in a gunfight. And so um, what you see in the movies, i just give you a clue here, just a little, that's not real. Mm-hmm. Uh, people get uh, uh, injured with firearms all the time and they continue in the fight. And so the idea that you're going to stand there like some Old West, two guys looking at each other and some music in the background and the tumbleweed goes and everyone draws and goes, that's just not what it is. Well, so when My you, understanding is it only happened at noon. That's right. Only at noon, and there was always dust on the street. And after that, it didn't matter. <laughs> it didn't matter. Absolutely but, right. So the, so the bad guys don't come out at night. Right. The bad guys don't come out at night. And the truth be told, the majority of shootings occur at night. And the majority of, uh, of gunplay happens while both parties are moving. Mm-hmm. Very few people stand on their hind heels and uh, present a pistol and solve problems. Most people are running for cover and uh, going for it. Well, let's get into the training, the actual training a little bit. What's um, what's maybe the first thing, maybe somebody has never shot a pistol before and they're interested, whether it's for home defense, for um, just shooting at the range, um, just as a hobby or competition, what's the first thing you would recommend somebody do um, in terms of instruction and, and education? Understand safety. Absolutely. Uh, single most important thing that an individual ha- has to get down are those uh, uh, basic safety uh, principles. And uh, all guns are always loaded. Never let the muzzle cover anything you're not willing to destroy. Uh, keep your finger off of the trigger until you're ready to shoot with sights on the target. And know what's uh, uh, beyond the muzzle when you launch a bullet downrange. You know, know your backstop and what's beyond. And if you have a good fundamental understanding of that and a healthy respect for what you're doing, then uh, you should probably approach training that way. Because let's face it, we're not telling guys and gals, this is a roof and hammer and here's how you roof. Because if you blow it with a roof and hammer, you lose a thumbnail. Mm-hmm. If you make a mistake with a pistol um, with its short muzzle, boy, the mistake can be, uh, you don't lose a fingernail, you kind of lose a finger. So those safety rules are everything first and foremost. So get educated on that. And then have a healthy respect for what that tool does, because it is just a tool. Mm-hmm. And the single greatest safety for that tool is what's between your ears. Once you got the right perspective, um, 
seek really, um, I think the best word would be, and not necessarily qualified, but uh, common sense instruction. You can get on the internet today and see a lot of stuff that's not common sense, right? (laughs) Well, and so that brings me to a question as far as what should people be looking for before they invest in a a specific trainer? So you... You went out and you reached out to these other trainers at Gunsight and, and other places. What do you look for in a, in a trainer or a training uh, regimen that, what, what are your key uh, things that you look for? I, I think real world experience, uh, first and foremost. You look at someone like uh, Jeff Cooper, was a colonel in the Marine Corps, and basically revolutionized the way in which we use the pistol. He went from one-handed shooting he introduced, um, in, a, in a collaboration, of course, uh, the modern technique of the pistol, two hands on the gun, that old kind of old-fashioned isometric push-pull. But he came by that through real-world um, application and how to use that pistol effectively as a fighting tool. Uh, you take someone like Dave Spaulding, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of interviews of actual people who have done gunfights from trench warfare and World War I through modern law enforcement. So here's some people that actually use that piece of gear. And not that I'm downplaying anything to do with competition, but it is a, uh, a tool that was used uh, for its actual application and maybe also used in competition a little bit. Mm-hmm. I think I like Ernie Langdon. Ernie Langdon, great combination. There's a United States Marine who understood how to use that pistol and then said, hey, I can do better with this in competition, took a service-grade pistol and won a bunch of competitions on the top end. So when I look at these individuals, I'm going to look at their resume, and I'm not going to be real inclined to, um, well, let's just say it, believe someone who's broadcasting their knowledge from their mom's basement over the Internet. Mm-hmm. I want to know that they actually used it, got out there, and put some street time on with it. Yeah. So they've got some legitimate credentials. And... We've got an industry right now in training where it is flooded with people that think they're qualified because they've watched one or two YouTube videos and had a single NRA class, and that signs them off. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they just like to regurgitate whatever information they see or watch, and that's it, and they think they got it. Yeah, that's got to be kind of... A barrier when you start training and some with some folks is that they've seen a lot of stuff on YouTube. Maybe they're a little resistant or they've already got bad habits from just watching YouTube or anything like that. But what do you think the difference is between seeing something on a video online and actually getting real world instruction? Um, the difference between reading it in a book and actually smelling it. You know what I mean? Yeah. You can you can read it and that's cool. But when you come out and try to put those things into an application. Uh, let's face it, we teach here, and, and the folks that come through here, we're really blessed. The folks that come through this store and come through the academy associated with this store usually have a really good open mind. Mm-hmm. I've yet to run across anybody that's just been, nope, my way or the highway. They're here because they are honestly want to understand how to use that piece of gear. So they're really open-minded. They've got a good attitude about it, and they come in. Even some experienced shooters we've had come through the door are willing to say, okay, what can you teach me? That's everything. Um, the closed-door folks, you run across them occasionally. Sure. I, I quite frankly have seen them in other training classes and other spots other than here. Um, but uh, if you think you know it all... There's no reason for you to take a class. Well, you maybe probably shouldn't even be handling a firearm if you think yeah, you know yeah, it all. Yeah. That is one thing I've noticed about our customer base. I've worked in other ranges, and, and I've helped teach classes in other, other even inside the state. And in those places, yeah, I've noticed the, oh, I'm a, I'm a retired officer, or I'm, I was a Marine, or I was Army. I know everything. And there's an immediate barrier that they already know everything. Um, but there's something about this area, this, this Boise Valley, that people seem to be way more receptive and... Uh, more eager to learn, and I, I'm not sure why, honestly. No, that's absolutely true. The folks that are coming through the door, that are signing up, spending uh, good money, mm-hmm. they, they're, they're, they're yeah, in the they're seats. Ready, they're yeah. ready to go. They're in the seats. They're sitting on the edge of the seat, and they're ready to train. And then when we get actually get out on the range, um, they're really safety conscious, and yet they're willing to understand the, the fundamentals of uh, how to use that piece of equipment, whatever it is. Yeah. 
and boy, they're knocking it out of the park. We, we have some fun out here. It's, it's a good group of people. There's a lot of laughter. There's a lot of good times, all safe. And uh, we just, matter of fact, we just did a, a couples class. Uh, when was that, Ricky? Two weeks ago? Yeah, something like that. And it was husbands and wives or, or you know, and uh, we kind of paired it off where the women shot against the men. And it was hysterically fun to watch. <laughs> uh, and, of course, the women shot better than the guys did because... Uh, yes, they do. Well, and they, you know, were kind of lungheads. We, <laughs> you know, they listen a little better. So little it was a lot of learners. fun. Yeah, they're better learners. And it was a lot of fun. We had a, we had a good time. So um, folks that show up here, they're looking to have fun, but they also, uh, also want to learn. So. Yeah, in my limited RSO experience, because um, I've RSO'd a couple of classes oh, yeah. for you, yeah. um, and it's pretty amazing to see folks who have maybe never handled a firearm before, or maybe once or twice in their entire lives, and to see them putting significant holes on paper after just an hour or two of you know trigger time. It is yeah. very impressive to see. We get people after just a couple hours can hit the same hole a couple of times, you know, back at 400 yards. With no, no, standing uh, on their heads, stand on their heads. Yeah, no, uh, you know that's seven, ten yards. We get them where they're easily staying in the bullseye. So uh, that's a credit to their uh, willingness to learn. Mm-hmm. And and it's a what a great confidence booster for those that may have, you know, I guess they're really green at the. At, I don't want to say a sport because it's not really a sport when it comes to training, but. Once they, the difference between going into the class and leaving the class, how much confidence they gain uh, at their ability. They understand a little bit more about the tool and how to use it. Yeah, and I think you're right. I think it it is a sport, though, because we run the gamut. We got people that just want to be able to safely bounce that empty Pepsi can around the campsite Mm -hmm. and show their grandkids how to do that. And we love those folks that show up, and that's what they want to do. They want that 22 pistol. That's what they want to do. And then we get... Everyone in between all the way up to that person that's really thinking about taking that enhanced concealed carry class, they've really got a defensive um, mindset and everyone in between. And so we get folks that show up that have never shot before. First time they've ever pulled the trigger is here. And we get folks that have been shooting for a year, 10 years, some guys that haven't touched it for a while, just need to be brushed up a little bit. So it's a good combination. One, one thing I've been impressed by you and by our other instructors is that you guys, and, and this is, I mean, this is the reason you guys are working here, is because you have that humble attitude. When you don't have to sit there and, and share your war stories. And I've always been, you know, those people that share, they're always constantly going on their war stories. Obviously, there's sometimes <laughs> you do need to have the, help the students understand the application of this in the real world or the thing that you're talking about. Um, but yeah, but you don't have to go on and on and about, on about your battles that you've been in um, well, to goal, try to, to yeah. try to give you credit. Yeah, or yeah the goal the goal is not about uh, it being about the instructor. The goal is about it being about the student. Mm-hmm. And when the student walks out of here happy, uh, more educated, safer, and more competent with that piece of equipment they chose to bring to class, well, that's what that's what we're here for. Uh, if you want to listen to a bunch of war stories, you know, log into the Internet and listen. But mm-hmm. if, if you want to understand how to use a piece of gear that you got as a gift or you haven't dusted out of the drawer for a little while, hey, come on down and, and we'll we'll do our best. And the other instructors we've got, uh, Leroy and Jim, phenomenal instructors that bring just a wealth of experience. Jim Love with Idaho State Police, uh, retired. He ran the firearms training unit for him. Mm-hmm. The guy is phenomenal. I have learned things from Jim. I've sat through his classes on purpose. And uh, he brings his own style and how to teach, and that connects with someone. And then yep. you turn around and take someone like Leroy, who's retired from Boise PD, um, did a whole bunch of stuff. He's, he does a carbine class, AR class, where I talk to some of the students after the fact who want to learn how to safely use that piece of gear. Phenomenal instructor. Just just great group of people all the way around. Yeah, we've been really lucky, I think. And Ricky's done a good job of uh, corralling those instructors into place and get them into one spot that really offers a, I wouldn't say a unique, because anybody can offer those kind of classes, but um, a next level up of, of a good, competent 
group of instructors. Come on, he's just herding cats. Yeah, <laughs> he's found the right. Well, cats. that's what I was gonna say. <laughs> Steve, Steve made it sound like it was just it was accomplished, and I was like, oh, I have a lot of work to do. <laughs> but well, it's, it's anyway. always it's always a work in progress, right? I mean, you're never gonna be you're never gonna knock it out of the park right off the bat. But it's always good to have the right players on the team. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, and we definitely have good players. Oh yeah. Like, um, yeah, we're we're lucky to have the instructors we have. Yeah, good group of guys. So hopefully yeah. we can keep him around for a, a while longer. Yeah, well, and we've got uh, until he dies. Until the keel's oh, over. Until he dies. Oh, that's right. positive. We all make fun of how old Jim is, but he's not that old. <laughs> <laughs> um, so moving along a little bit from the basics, maybe step it up to like CCW training. How does that training differ from? basic or maybe intermediate pistol uh, classes? Is it, is it different in any way? Well, I think there's only so many different ways you can uh, shoot a pistol. you got to understand good grip. you got to understand how to manipulate that trigger. And you got to understand how to uh, line those sights up and let that front sight steer the bullet mm-hmm. by pressing the trigger without the front sight moving. Um, we've always said that the effective... Uh, presentation of a pistol from a holster is that the sights they arrive right where they should wherever you want to hit the sights arrive there i think the difference might be when we start um, we lean the class on the enhanced concealed carry a little bit more towards um, that defensive mindset where with a basic class we want to just have folks that are comfortable with the pistol, safe with the pistol, and introduced on how to load it, unload it, and shoot it reasonably well. That intermediate class, we start working with that holster, which is its own set of skills, presenting that pistol from the holster and having it arrive on target effectively. When we talk about the enhanced concealed carry, we lean the class a little bit more towards that mindset that, hey, you're talking about packing this thing out in public, concealed. And with that comes a huge responsibility. Definitely. And we want you to acknowledge that responsibility right up front, make that mental decision that that's what you're going to do, and then um, do it super safe and super responsible. One of the best lines out of the uh, instruction that we use uh and it's with the uh, I'm drawing a blank on it, Ricky. What's the enhance, What's the name of the USCCA? USCCA. Yeah. yeah, they basically said that your enhanced concealed carry permit is not some junior FBI junior cop badge. <laughs> we would rather these folks never have to use these skill sets. We'd rather them be really excellent witnesses. But we do lean that class towards the idea that one day you may have to use this piece of gear. So get your mind wrapped around that now. And then we try to gear them towards using that pistol, especially in our advanced classes, effectively, safely, and in some cases, know when not to use it. Mm-hmm. That's almost more important. Mm-hmm. I, I Absolutely. Mean, keeping it holstered, stepping back and picking up the cell phone and dialing 911 and not getting involved. Huge part of the discussion as well, because it's about the reasonable carry of it. Because let's face it, just one person acting like a nut with a, you know, carry permit it labels a host of people yeah. and we just don't need that yeah we've we've talked about that point in a couple of previous episodes we, i think in almost every episode we usually hammer at home that you know a pistol is literally the last resort it's like you know in fear for your life yeah um and we've talked about how carrying a firearm or being a firearms enthusiast you are a representative of the firearms community at large well and understand something too that the, the, the prosecutor's office in the valley they're probably going to look at you a little bit different because you now have a tool with you that gives you a option that's much different than just the average citizen. So you're going to be held to a higher standard, whether you like it or not. And uh, I know this from my time working with a prosecutor's office, that they're going to look at your training. They're going to look at your experience. And if you went out to the desert, had some classes, shot 40 rounds at a rock, and you think that makes you qualified— um, that might be problematic down the line. So what we like to leave folks with is you came here, you had a qualification course, you had a defined curriculum. We ask them to, you know, the, I'm amazed at how many people carry a firearm concealed, but they don't carry some additional kind of insurance yeah. for how to take care of a situation, God forbid, where they may have to litigate 
their use of that pistol in the defense of their own lives or somebody else's. So we run the gamut on making them think about the real use of that from start to finish. And I'm, I'm not going to lie. That was one of my concerns about constitutional carry, that now we have all these people that say, hey, it's it's my right. And now the state says, yeah, I can carry whenever I want, wherever I want. And they don't get any kind of background or, or knowledge or understanding or even think about what happens after the fact. And they just carry because they can. Um, that That's... That was my biggest concern about the constitutional carry when it passed. Yeah, I, yeah, I get that all day long on the floor. Is oh well, I don't need that anymore. I don't, I don't need to get a concealed carry permit because we're good. And I'm like, <clears throat> granted, I love, I love that we have a constitutional carry. Yeah, law. it's not that I hate yeah, the law not, or dislike the law. I just not trying to take away from it at all. But you still have to take the training, or else. Well, you, it'll be it'll be a pretty hard thing. You, you if you're going to I get it. And I agree with you 100 percent about the constitutional carry. It is a right. Mm-hmm. But with a right comes some responsibility. Yeah. And if you duck the responsibility part and rest only on the rights um, litigation, especially civil. I mean, even if you even if you survive any type of um, criminal prosecution, let's say it was 100 percent legal. The civil side of things sees it different. Well, the civil side of things sees your assets as theirs. And there are folks out there that want to grind an axe against the uh, constitutional carry rights. And they know they're not going to win that. So what they're going to do is they're going to make their point in civil litigation. Now, uh, state of Idaho has got some great protection for that. There's some caps on some things. But still... Um, I don't know about you guys, but I'm not about shelling out a hundred thousand dollars. That's a cheap case. That's a cheap case. Yeah. No thanks. Yeah. I mean, and so here we hence the purpose of insurance. Yeah, hence the purpose of insurance, and and it doesn't really. Um, we have a great in-house group that we've kind of associated ourselves with here that um, does a great job. The NRA does a great job. There's a host of different things, just like you would buy insurance for your car. Go out and seek out good protection because I tell you what, you're not going to want to open the phone book upon the night nope. that this happens and try to pick a lawyer out of the phone book. And it's not terribly expensive either. No. It is no. an expense, but it's something that it, it's not going to break the bank. So we go through we go through U.S. Law Shield. Right. Um, I think they are a hundred and twenty five dollars a year. Yeah, phenomenal. It's, it's not and and the U.S. Law Shield they have no caps. Right. So the and they'll do um, and they handle all appeals, but this is both criminal and civil. Yeah. Civil. Yeah. So. Yeah. So you got to. I mean, we can't we can't approach this just from the idea that we have this right. We've already accepted that. We're past that point. Now the difference is: Are you going to be a professional about it? Mm-hmm. And the difference between an amateur and a professional is you've thought it all the way through, yeah. and you've taken the uh, time to get educated about it, and the resources that are coming through the door here associated with uh, the business here are phenomenal. And uh, you're just, it's kind of like, I don't know, you're kind of foolish, I think, if you're not maybe thinking that all the way through. Well, I do kind of, I I just come from a family of automotive background, so I always kind of relate things back to cars. But it's suddenly like if you were allowed to drive without a license and you didn't need a license to drive, yeah, you can go drive, but you're not necessarily going to know the rules of the road. You're not going to know where to look, you know, to be situationally aware. And heaven forbid, if you get into an accident. Yeah, what insurance company is going to uh, issue a policy without a license? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and so it's the yeah. same kind of approach to firearms. And, and, yeah. and you can get, you know, continued education in, in driving and, and yeah. all that kind of stuff. And it's much the same here in uh in the firearms world, I yeah, would, I with would rights, say. With rights come responsibilities. And, and you know, we're getting kind of on, on, a, on a, you know, ho-hum kind of side of it because <laughs> we all enjoy the good time out on the range. We enjoy the good time out hunting and we enjoy all those good times. But, you know, as, you, as your question was, uh, again, towards the difference between how you do business in the basic class versus that concealed weapons class, uh, we kind of start thinking about these things a little bit more because you sure. got to look at it from a, kind of a whole whole worldview well you're taking your like you said you're shooting and your your firearm from the range which is a, re- a relatively well it is a controlled environment sure to out in the real world which is as you well know a uncontrolled environment well all you got to do is turn on any major news broadcaster and any tragedy and ask yourself as those uh, people are running out of the store um 
if you decide to get involved and run in, I mean, really have a good perspective on what you're going to do. And when you pull the trigger out in the field, that bullet is going to land somewhere. You better understand what your responsibilities are when you do that. So, well, and I and in the real world too, I've I've heard from former law enforcement too is that there's a lot of incidents and things that happen that don't necessarily get put on the news. Oh yeah, and you know that. And this, we're kind of still on the ho hum train, but it's something realistic to think about: is that daytime in a very safe city and nighttime, even in a very safe city, are two completely different worlds. Oh yeah, yeah. My my wife has a great saying, in which which she's when we hear these stories on the news in the dark alleys of a poor part of town that's not economically poor, but it's just a poor place to be. She always asks, "Why isn't that person home getting ready to go to work?" Why isn't she? Why isn't that person um, in bed putting their tucking their kids in there? Unfortunately, you know, we're, we're very fortunate to live in a valley where we don't have some of the major crime problems that you see out of Chicago and you see out of some of these major cities. But um, there still are some bad spots. So, hey, in class, we talk about, hey, common sense. Avoidance is everything. If you can avoid the situation before you ever have to decide to use your pistol, you've won that fight. And I mean, that's everything. So and don't put yourself in the places that you need. Don't 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 walk into a place that you might you think you might need a gun. Oh yeah, if there's if there's an argument going on in a bar, don't stick your head in to see what's going on. Yeah. Walk past it. <laughs> well, right? which, which goes against which go I mean, I I think of myself in high school whenever there was a fight, what happens? You know, people, people jump run, in, really people run to around, it. circle it. Yeah. So it's kind of a it's kind of a fight against instinct of like, oh, what's going on over here? Right. The curiosity. Yeah. yeah it's, we're not a lot different than we were in high school. Unfortunately, all yeah. you got to do is watch the uh, cell phone videos. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, getting back to training a little yeah. bit, though, what is your favorite or maybe most rewarding part of instructing? What do you like most about being an instructor? Um, the, the, the actual um, uh, when you see the light bulb go on for somebody. Well, I'll give you an example. We had a uh, a class a couple of weeks ago, and the student was uh, female, and um, she was petite in size. She was shooting a uh, Smith & Wesson uh, Shield 9mm. Phenomenal pistol. We carry him here. Just a great self-defense pistol. I got to talk with her on the line, asked her, hey, why'd why'd you buy that pistol? She goes, I wanted something to shoot recreationally, but I also am thinking about packing, uh, getting her concealed carry. And... uh, had very limited, her dad had shown her how to shoot, very limited shooting experience. Sure. So we're there at seven yards, and we say, okay, line those sights up, press that trigger in such a way that that front sight doesn't move, and and hit the little red dot out there at about seven yards. And she hits the red dot dead center, and her eyes get real big. I said, now do the exact same thing <laughs> again. She puts the bullet in the same hole. Wow. Now, more common than you know. This, this, this is common. Uh, people think, well, that's phenomenal. It, it, it happens frequently on the range here because someone that's paying attention to those things and then you just see now, now we don't have to tell her anymore now now she's on her own yeah and and the light clicked on and she's just really enjoying it and then afterwards she has the ability to uh, safely handle and uh, store that pistol she understands the responsibility of that pistol around kids uh, she was a mom that had a couple of kids and she's hooked and I've seen it at the range a couple of more times out here, and she just absolutely loving on the sport. And now, of course, the question becomes, what's the next pistol to buy and these kind of things? But uh, all that's uh, ancillary to watching the light bulb go on for an adult who wants to do a relatively complicated psychomotor uh, physical uh, skill, a skill involving your hands. Um and, uh, and involving your mind and doing everything just right to make that happen, and you can tell they're hooked. And so that, that's just a kick. And then, uh, by and large, the folks that come through the door in the classes, regardless of age, they're polite, they're nice. There's just a nice group of people in this valley. And uh, the folks that show up for classes, they're here to have a good time and smile and laugh a little bit. They're responsive out on the range, and I really enjoy the interaction with the folks back and forth. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I can attest, like I said earlier, to kind of that light bulb moment or just a slight change because I've been shooting four or five years, um, you know, and learned a lot on my own um, and have taken some instruction. But really, Bill, we were out on the range and he goes, your, your grip up top is a little loose. So cam those hands together up top and get a little grip higher on the gun and really squeeze it. 
And I mean, yeah, it made all the difference in the world. Pistol grip is this is uh, next to trigger control is probably the single greatest mistake we make in, in shooting accurately. Um, that low left with Glock, you know, when you shoot a Glock and you've got people that are low left shooters, they're just not holding the pistol right. Mm-hmm. And when you can just say, hey, this is the way you should hold that pistol. This is what you should do to cure that problem. Take those hands and roll them together up on the top. And all of a sudden... The shot goes from low left to maybe just a little bit low, but dead center. Yep. And that's something you don't get from YouTube. That's that's like an example of the book versus tasting it, like you mentioned earlier. Yeah, it's, application. You know, you could watch that stuff all, all day long on YouTube, but, but feeling. So Bill will actually come around, and he did this with you. Mm-hmm. He'll actually come around and grab your hands and physically mold, manipulate mold your hands You didn't for just you. say we were holding hands on the range, did you? He was gripping well, the the back I didn't, side. I didn't. Of my hand. I didn't say your fingers were entwined in one another. Yeah. But yeah, our fingers weren't intertwined. We're just friends. We're just friends. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Uh, but no, there's. Yeah, you get that. Uh, the physical and the you get somebody else watching you first of all to see what you're doing and. Um, you do get that kind of physical change because you do also do this thing where you shake hands with somebody as an example of proper grip and you bring that second hand over and it's something that people can relate to. And I think there are a lot of light bulb moments when you do that too, but you can't, like you said, get that from a YouTube video. Yeah. You've got to make people, um, you got to make people feel it. You got to make people kind of taste it a little bit and you got to make people understand it in such a way that they remember it. And everyone remembers how to shake hands. Everyone's had that uh, kind of limp uh, handshake from that person, and you just went, "That doesn't feel right." <laughs> right? And so, when you when you uh, use something that's an everyday occurrence, and you make it applicable to the uh, one of the fundamentals of uh, marksmanship, it, it kind of sticks. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Um, and speaking of maybe the fundamentals or practice beyond training because let's say you take your first couple classes um, and you've got that knowledge under your belt now and you want to come back to the range and practice and hone those skills because shooting is a perishable skill if you don't shoot for a while you absolutely won't, you won't shoot well or as well as you did what are some things that folks can do to have some perfect practice on the range well i, I think two things um at home safely ammunition in a separate room uh, the gun pointed at something that should you have a negligent discharge, mind I said negligent, not accidental, because if you're behind the pistol, you're responsible for it. And if the gun goes off, you're responsible for it. So it's negligence. But in a safe environment, dry fire at home, dry fire, that ability to press that trigger without that front sight moving is everything, mm-hmm. is everything, because that front sight steers the gun. So if you can get where you can press that trigger successfully and the front sight doesn't move, you're good. And then when you come to the range, here's what I would tell people. We, we all enjoy coming to the range. You got a 50-round box, you load up three magazines, and 10 minutes later, you're done. And everyone enjoys that. So keep doing that. Enjoy that. Have a good time with that. Uh, that's fun. But take another 50 rounds. And get a dedicated, dedicated practice session that you religiously will do. Uh, I'll give you an example. Um, from one of the things I stole from Dave Spaulding, and whether he knows it or not, I've adopted him as my mentor. He'll mm-hmm. probably argue with me about that. But uh, uh, you take a three by five card, which I think is a realistic uh, target size, and you start at three yards, and you back that that three by five card up with the range here all the way back. What do we go back? 25? Yep. And you back it all the way up 25. Start at three yards and back it all the way up to 25. And for each distance, I go three, seven, 12, 12 yards because your front sight now starts to disappear a little bit on that three by five card. Really got to concentrate on that front sight. After 12, I go to 15, then go to 20, and then go to 25. Three rounds for each one of those distances on that three by five card. And uh, what we're doing is we're just practicing those fundamentals. So if your grip's poor and you're shooting low left off of a Glock, you'll know it. It's your grip, low left. It's your grip. If you're you look at that three by five card, and it's a shotgun pattern out there, you're not focusing on the front sight. If everything's right there, but it's all low at six o'clock, you're smashing, you're jabbing, you're jamming that trigger. And so here's a dedicated set of instruction that you can do every single time. 
And let's say you've got it nailed at three, you've got it nailed at five, you've got it nailed at seven. Yeah, I'm pretty good at 10, but about 12, it starts disappearing on me. Well, now you know what you got to work on. But don't give up those three, five, seven, 10, and 12 yard lines. Keep shooting those and push that back. I guess that's a long way of saying have a dedicated set of drills that you can do that will reinforce those fundamentals. Yeah, that's great. Um, and that's one thing, too, that I've noticed is before classes, sometimes you'll actually run yourself through drills and fundamentals. Oh, this is all about the basics. It's it's it's, And that kind of reinforced watching you do that before we were preparing for our classes. You're never too good for the fundamentals. Oh, no. And you're never too experienced to do that. And it'll always help every time. Um, I, I'll tell you a story. And this, quite frankly, this comes from... Um, taking Spalding's classes, but he shoots, a, he shoots a drill that everyone does at the end of class. And it's, uh, it's called a, a two by two by two. And he got this drill, I'll just kind of boil it down for the sake of time. Um, he got this drill after shooting with some guys from special forces. And they call it, I think they call it skills on demand. And what the ability is, is for someone who's an operator, I'm not a SEAL, and I'm not a Delta guy, okay? I was a Marine that shot a machine gun. I wasn't anything real super special. But there are those professionals out there who have to know how to use these pieces of gear surgically. And so uh, their bosses can walk up to them anytime, tap them on the shoulder, and pull them off the training line or wherever they're at and say, hey, skill on demand. And they do it for first aid. They do it for physical fitness. They do it for, but when it comes to pistols, they tell these guys, draw your pistol, hit a 3 by 5 card, at 21 feet, two rounds in two seconds. Wow. That includes? Con from, from concealment. Yeah. And so if those guys are required to hold a standard and get that done, and those are the guys on the front line of taking care of business for our country, and they're the, I don't think anyone would argue any of those guys are the, the best of the best. If those guys are still practicing the fundamentals, to get to that level where they can do that test reliably. When you talk to them, they say, hey, clear the garment, get a good grip on the pistol, manipulate the trigger in such a way so that it does not move the front sight. In your draw stroke, let the front sight arrive on target as a definition of a good draw from the holster and do that in two seconds. Now, I want to encourage everybody, don't go out and try that. Yeah, okay? no. <laughs> don't, don't jump on that Work bandwagon. your way there. Yeah, you work your way there. You could have an accident if you don't have some competent instruction. Don't just take that as a, hey, let's go for it. But those guys, and when you talk to them, hey, what are you, uh, from what I understand, what are you doing to get to that level? Fundamentals. Fundamentals. That's all there is to it, just like professional sports. You know, like, how many times do you practice shooting a basketball exactly. into the net, you know? Exactly. One, one thing I want to hit on, so you talked about the basic pistol, the enhanced concealed carry, the intermediate pistol. But we also teach, as far as the pistol line goes, a progression of training the the advanced proficiency drills, right. which is a biweekly membership. So in your opinion, the reason I designed that is to help people maintain the skills because it's always wonderful to take these these uh, these you know classes but but if you don't if you take a class and you expect that to last for two years it's just not you're you're fooling yourself right so what are your thoughts as far as what students are practicing in the um proficiency drills and and how does that help them well what we did when you when you when you put that together and then you asked for our input on it what we did is we came up with a set of standards and quite frankly that set of standards is kind of stolen from gun site and it's stolen from a host of different instructors um, and we basically said these are the skills we think you should be able to perform and they basically involve marksmanship they involve gun manipulation how to successfully load and unload a gun uh, under stress to some degree the, st the stress is time uh, but and then uh, how to effectively get hits on target within time um, and the difference between exact marksmanship and getting hits on something under time, those vary. You know, we're shooting for one hole on a three by five card under time. We're happy to keep them on about, you know, an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper, maybe a little bit smaller. But we set up a standard for all of these. And what we want to see people do is say, okay, um, the first time I gave this a shot, a given drill, I did it in about six seconds. 
we should see that number fall commensurate with the accuracy increasing. Uh, Don't get me wrong. I don't care about the person that can shave a quarter second or half second off their time. That that means nothing if you can't hit the target. Mm -hmm. Was it Wyatt Earp that said uh, speed's fine, but accuracy's final, right? So we want to be able to see people, and we like using that three by five card because it represents a a, a real realistic size target. If you're a competitive shooter, it's that A zone very easily for you. If you're a defensive shooter, it's that high thoracic chest cavity. And we'd like to see you come from a concealed garment at a distance, 20 feet, 25 feet, um, 10 feet, and uh, get out there and get as many rounds in the given time on that really accurately. We allow the student to track their own progression and give them a set of drills that support increasing accuracy as well as decreasing time. And there's a point of um, diminished return on this. Eventually, the student's going to work themselves out of that class. Mm-hmm. Um, but every two weeks, they've got someone calling the drill for them and holding them accountable. And we all like going to class where someone's calling the drill for us. We don't have to think. They say, hey, just put your skills to test and do this drill for me. We try to keep that relevant. We try to keep it a mix between uh, competition shooting and defensive shooting. Jim uh, leans towards competition shooting a little bit more. And uh, I've gone to a couple of competitions as an invite uh, with Jim. He's a phenomenal competition shooter. Shoots really great. And yet I've shown up with a group of older guys. I think the oldest guy in the class was like 80. Wow. And there was like five of us, six of us. And it's a, it's a weekday group in the morning that Jim's met with these guys for five years. They've been keeping their scores and times on a set of drills for something like three or four years. <laughs> mm-hmm. I watched an 80-year-old guy with a 1911. Or I'm sorry, he was, was shooting a Glock. The guy, you just look at him and it doesn't even look fast. And yet he's one of the smoothest, fastest, most accurate shooters I've ever seen in my life. Why? Consistent practice and that accountability for someone keeping those times and keeping those scores, and he knows what he has to do to improve. Some weeks it's great, some weeks it's not. That's what that class gives you. It gives you that ability to have someone come in and hold you accountable to those skill sets. Right. And those classes are invite only, correct? Yep. Yeah, so you have to go through the intermediate pistol and the retention and speed shooting, which is actually another one we didn't talk about. Um, but uh, the retention and speed shooting course is prerequisites for those advanced firearms proficiency drills, and you have to be invited by the instructor to participate in that. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm sure, it, well, maybe it's not so obvious, but can you guys kind of talk about the philosophy behind that and the reasoning behind that? Because I'm sure there might be some people out there thinking, oh, well, I know what I'm doing. I, I can go skip straight to the advanced stuff. Just the, and that's exactly what Bill said. You shouldn't have a gun. If you if you have that mindset, <laughs> we don't want you on the range because those are the people that are going to be dangerous. So and, the, and we've got people showing up that um, their expectation is that they're operating that pistol pretty well at a certain level. And if someone shows up and is um, not doing that, we're taking a level of performance and we're, we're setting it back. And granted, a new student shows up in that class um, that's never been in that class before. The learning curve is pretty sharp. They got to get after it. Most of those folks that get invited to that class get on board real fast and they can keep up. But we've all been in, doesn't matter what kind of class, if there's one or two or three individuals that are operating at about a six and everyone else is operating at about a nine on a scale of one to 10, those folks at a six are kind of dragging that class down. These folks are dedicating some time. They've made an investment in some money. They've made an investment in equipment. They've made an investment in ammunition. And so uh, what they're saying is we want to operate it at a level where we're constantly trying to strive to get towards that 10 level. Mm-hmm. And if someone shows up and they're a five or they're just kind of arrogant about doing it and just you know sloppy, it's not fair to those folks that have uh, enrolled. And, and I think we're doing pretty good about, um, well, they'll tell us. They'll give us the feedback. That's one of the great things about our students. They'll just tell us bluntly, this is what I need or, or not need, right? Yeah. yeah. So I think we're doing pretty good about uh, giving them those skill sets and, and mm-hmm. trying to keep it relevant. Yeah. So then um, what is one way or maybe a couple different ways somebody can kind of get, I guess, for lack of a better term, a reality check on where they are at in their skills? Because maybe... You know, 
maybe the basic pistol class might be a little too elementary. Maybe they're they're beyond that level for them. But you're never you're never too good for the basics, like we just covered. Um, you know, but maybe they're not sure that interme- intermediate is right for them either. Um, what's what's a good way that somebody can kind of go and get that kind of skills check almost? This is how my brain works. As you were talking, I was like, oh, that would be something cool we could do. <laughs> but actually, I'm, I'm thinking, and I'm trying to think in my head how we would do it, but <clears throat> we could form a more of a diagnostic. I have formed already to where people could test out of the prerequisites if they do feel that they they already possess the skills necessary to get into the proficiency drills. At that point, they would come with Bill or Jim, um, and they would have a private lesson for two hours. And Jim or Bill would give the yay or nay on whether or not they can, but then they would give the recommendation on what class they should take before to get to that level. Um, but we could offer, I'm trying to think of how we would do it, but well, we could some, os- offer more of a diagnostic course. We've had some students that have shown up that have took part in Practical Pistol Shooting Association and a host of other, they've just been shooting for a while. And so they're, kind of just a little bit of instruction, kind of a little bit of understanding of where they are with their skill sets, most importantly, where they are with their safety. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, boy, they, they, they can slide right in there. Uh, I think if you wanted to have a baseline, if you took a standard uh, bullseye target and ran it out there at uh, 15 yards, and uh, you could keep them in the 10 ring 18 out of 20 shots, uh, we know your fundamentals are, are well enough probably in the accuracy department that that's not going to be an issue. If you can go from concealment onto a target in about three seconds with about two rounds, maybe three rounds and three seconds from concealment at a distance of uh, 25 feet, and staying on a three-by-five card there in about three, three and a half seconds, probably probably where you need to be. Maybe maybe four seconds, but probably where you need to be if you kind of talk about some baselines on that stuff. But we have a responsibility to make sure that you're doing that safely and you're doing that. Here's, here's one of the things that happens all the time. People go, ooh, I accomplished that drill. I hit that time. I made it. But they had to do it 40 times to get to that one. <laughs> and then when they try it again, they are not there. When you can hit it, accomplish the time goals and the accuracy goals and do that consistently seven out of 10 times. Now we're talking about a rooted fundamental skill that you probably have ingrained in you. To do it 40 times and then get it one time and raise your hand and say, I did it successfully, it is an accomplishment, but doing it successfully repeatedly is what we're looking at. Yeah, it's kind of like you've done it, now do it again. Yeah, right. The guy that can throw a strike once never makes it to the big leagues, right? (laughs) Yeah, The guy that can throw strikes Eight out of ten times, yeah, that's the guy that makes it to the big leagues. Yeah, very not cool. that we're the big leagues by any stretch of the imagination. No, but I think we do have such a wealth of information and experience in our instructors, and I think that's really where you do get a lot of difference here, and a, and a difference in quality and education. Because I took a class in Illinois, it was a, an Illinois CCW class. Um, I'm originally from the Chicago area. I'm sorry. It's it's interesting. It's <laughs> it's a different philosophy on firearms here, and maybe we can get into that a little bit. Um, but I took a, a concealed carry class, and the instruction just kind of wasn't there. It was more opinion, and uh, you know, and not to say that it's not important, but more p- politics kind of thing than than really just straight instruction. And I, I was kind of underwhelmed by that. But then seeing the classes here as an RSO, and then taking a class. Like you put it, it's about doing business. People don't want opinion. People want to know how to shoot. When they come to the store and they hit Stevie up and say, Stevie, I want to purchase this firearm. Tell me the positives and negatives about it. They don't want Stevie's opinion about brand B. They came in and wanted to talk about brand A. Yep. Right. And so uh, when they come here for firearms instruction, uh, from what I've seen from our instructors, we're going to give you uh, firearms instruction that's going to get the goal accomplished of each class. And each each class is set out real simply. The basic class, make you a safe shooter. Pretty simple. Make yeah. you a safe shooter. Can teach you how to shoot. We're going to make you safe. Uh, the next class, we're going to teach you how to manipulate the firearm safely and present it from the holster. How to load it, unload it, um, and get it out of the holster and get it on target. 
And then in the subsequent classes thereafter, we're going to, or the, the next steps of classes, we're going to teach you how to uh, do that, do it more efficiently and do it faster and more accurately and build on the skill sets your body naturally has. We're not going to teach a 70-year-old the same way we're going to teach a 30-year-old because that 70-year-old's had two shoulder surgeries and may have some other issues. And that 25, 30-year-old doesn't even know what pain is yet, so they can do everything, you know. So uh, we, we're going to tailor it to that individual. Yeah. Well, that's funny you mentioned that about Steve because he is full of opinions. Opinion, yeah. I am full of opinions. <laughs> and proud of it. So um, I ain't scared to say it. Well, from, uh, from one resident, former resident of a huge major city to another, um, just curious, what is your opinion on kind of the philosophy or the um, – role of firearms and the attitude towards firearms here in Idaho versus California? Um, I think California is uh, broken in the way they look at firearms. They're attacking an, an, uh, an object that has no life, no, no, uh, no soul. And uh, if it sat there on the table, contrary to popular belief in California, they don't jump up off the table and do their own business. It is the individual behind it. What I really appreciate about Idaho, and one of the things that drew me to the state, and trust me, I know, he's a Californian. <laughs> I don't want to change anything here. I absolutely love the way in which we approach personal responsibility as it applies to almost everything, including firearms here. And that's everything. Uh, the little gray cells between your two ears, that brain housing group, is the single most applicable thing when using firearms. Idaho respects that. And uh, I wish some of these larger states, and it's not just California, I wish some of these larger metropolitan cities and states would go back to the accountability associated with these things for the individual, not the piece of equipment. Look at what's going on in London right now. In London mm -hmm. right now, they're stopped, they're, 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 they've stopped selling knives. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they've banned they're, knives. Yeah. yeah, because they're being used in crimes. Well, what if someone starts using a spoon? Yeah. And the next thing they start using is a fork. No one's going to eat. It's going to be a bunch of cavemen over there with <laughs> hands eating. It's ridiculous. It's not the object. It's the individual. And I really appreciate the way this state still holds the individual accountable for their actions. Some of these other larger cities are given excuses for it. And that's problematic in all walks of life, not just firearms. Well, and to your point where people are going to attack each other, I'm sure, as you've seen with whatever they have at hand, whether that's a firearm, a knife, a spoon, a blunt object, it doesn't really matter. Like you said, it's the intent behind the action. 31 years of watching how people uh, function, having worked a number of uh, criminal cases, it doesn't matter what tools there. If someone's mad enough and irrational enough, they're going to pick that tool up and do harm with it. And uh, we'll look at cars. We're driving cars into groups of people now because mm -hmm. uh, people are thinking that's the tool. So, boy, let's... Uh, let's outlaw cars. Hey, get rid of Ford, right? Yeah. <laughs> no, come on. See how well that goes. Yeah. So Idaho's got it wired. They've just uh, reinforced uh, some of the laws that give you uh, the, the castle doctrine, the ability to stand your ground, some of these things. They've done it in a common sense way. That really reinforces the individual who is law-abiding's rights versus the rights of someone who's decided to break the law and come after you. So this state has got it wired, and uh, boy, I hope nothing changes here. Yeah, it's a great state. I mean, the big things that I noticed were, and I've talked about this a little bit before, where I didn't really want to talk to people about firearms in Illinois because it was just kind of stigmatized, for lack of a better term. You know, people almost look at you differently. Right. Um here it's just oh yeah it, everybody's got you know a firearm and um you know like you said a lot of people want to get trained and want to know how to use those safely and use them safely and proficiently um and the craziest thing to me was the blm land you can go out into the desert and shoot you can there's no way you can do that in illinois yeah same with california yeah, yeah. public land rights are falling apart in it's california. not so much public Right. It's not the public yeah. lands are not very public, I guess. Yeah. 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 So um, another thing um, is former law enforcement. What um, and I, I'm trying to figure out the best way to ask the question, but what what is your opinion or what do you like about uh, citizens carrying concealed lawfully and responsibly? Um, I'll just fall back to what Cooper said years ago. An armed society is a polite society. Um, and, and that sounds uh, provocative, but it's not meant to be. Um, time and time again, 
we are seeing where uh, bad people are preying on good people and good people with firearms are rising to the occasion to put an end to that. And it doesn't even mean that shots are fired in the situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, and that's a recent FBI study that actually came out with that. That there's good people that'll come and stop it. And we talked about that in one of our former podcasts. But well, yeah. just this week, there's a video released. Um, they were in a restaurant. This, I guess he was a regular. Went in there, went to the back of the kitchen to argue with the waitress. And he cold cocks this one girl cooking food, right? Knocks her out, gives her a concussion. And then the other waitress pulls her gun out of her apron. And immediately that threat stopped. That guy turned around, backed away, and left. So... Uh, the tool that was used, um, just deploying it without even actually running the gun, stopped the situation. And that does happen a lot, way more than people understand. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think that's, I mean, when people think of, you know, good people with the gun, they think automatically shots are going to be fired, there's a firefight. Yep. But no. I would say it's more often maybe there's just a brandishment or something like that that usually stops the situation, correct? Well, yeah, I don't. I don't know about. I don't have specifically. I mean, Ricky was mentioning some stats. I don't know specifically the stats on that. But what what I do know is that I appreciate the fact that if we're all going to go to the lake to swim, there's a bunch of people that took some time to learn how to do rescue swimming. In case someone's not paying attention and one yep. of the kids starts to go into water, someone go out there and knows how to grab that 13 year old, 120 pound kid that has gone into the water and drank too much of the water and isn't functioning and is flailing around out there. And there's a 25, 30-year-old that took some lessons and got educated on how to go out and be the lifeguard. And I make that analogy because I think we have got a group of people here that I'm meeting in these classes that are saying, I don't ever want to have to use this. I don't ever want to have to set these skills in place other than bouncing the Pepsi can around the campsite. But if someone crosses a line that I've made up in my mind, I'm not going to let a group of kids get hurt. I'm not going to let someone that can't take care of themselves yeah. get hurt. And um, they've made those decisions, and, and that, that rocks. Yeah, it's all it's about personal responsibility and that you are responsible for your own safety, and you can be as prepared as you want to be. I mean, let's face it. The valley's growing in population, but we still have a huge amount of people that will pull over and help you change a tire. And I hope that never goes away because that's what California was when I was growing up. Mm -hmm. And it's not anymore, unfortunately, unless you get up north um, in the big cities. People are just a little leery of that. But here there's folks that are saying, I'm going to pack. I'm going to take care of my family. I'm going to exercise these Second Amendment rights that I've got. I'm going to get educated about it. I'm going to make some common sense, good decisions. And there's just enough things going on. Where if some guy loses a screw and decides to head towards a school, I might get involved and stop him because I'm not going to let any kids get hurt when I could probably put an end to it. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate average citizens stepping up to that plate because you think about it. I mean, that's a huge commitment. And I've heard from time and time again people in classes saying, nope, not in my neighborhood, not in my town, not in this valley, not in our state. We're not going to put up with it. So it's, uh, it, it's refreshing to see. Well, it's good to hear. Um, well, I think that's about all we got. Um, did you guys have any more questions? No. I, I Hopefully, you guys listen out there, if you haven't taken any classes, you haven't spent some time at the, at the range or in the store or whatever, um, and even if you feel like you've got all the knowledge you need, if, if you feel that way, you're wrong, come in and take some classes. I don't mean that to be demeaning to the, to the listeners or anything, but firearms training, it, it never stops. Right, it's one class is yeah. It's you need to keep that edge, those that skill set sharp, and uh, and even if you take a basic class again, you always learn something. And if you've taken classes here, please come back and give us some feedback again. Yeah, absolutely. We take that evaluation that we ask you to do at the end of class. We've changed and tweaked some classes from it already. But if you get some uh, innovative ideas, uh, hit Ricky up, hit me up, and and we'll see what we can't do to uh, better serve the customer base that that needs that kind of education. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and one thing I'll say about training too is that a lot of people talk about gear. You know, it, it, it's all we're all pretty much gearheads. We like to talk about, you know, what the new thing is or what to change or whatever. Um, 
you know, but I think the biggest ROI on investing your money into firearms is in training. Yeah. And you're yeah. like, you really can't go wrong with that. So I, um, I, I like my high point in my vinyl or nylon holster that fits every other gun I own too. So I'm okay high with point. That. You, oh, would you have a high, high point. point? No, <laughs> you would carry a high point. It's like, it's it's like, like 32, or 32 ACP. Yeah. Guitar, yeah. yeah. He's economical and yeah. Practical yeah. about it. So we can just say it. He's cheap. We're, yeah. We're, we're saving all the frugal. Uh, put downs. I prefer, frugal. For the I prefer end. the term frugal. Yeah. Frugal. So Bill, thank you so much for uh, waking up early. And uh, yeah, if you have a question for Bill, Steve, Ricky, or myself, podcast at II shooting.com mm-hmm. is the email or you can send us a Facebook message uh, at Independence Indoor Shooting. Again, we are on iTunes and Stitcher, too, so make sure you uh, subscribe there, get the latest from us. And uh, if you have any feedback, ideas for the show, or anything like that, uh, let us know. And and thank you to the listener that brought Bill on or requested to have Bill or Jim come. Oh, yeah, that's right. Because that's why Bill is here. Yeah, you were uh, uh, one of our listeners, Casey, actually requested that we talk about training and continued education in firearms because I believe he had been in the basic and intermediate and wanted to learn more. Well, of course, the caveat here is I have absolutely no idea what I'm saying. All of this is uh, just a a big guess. We were reading off a script. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for following that script. Yeah, Yeah, that was great. Yeah, Jim Jim Love taught me everything I know. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. Thank you again for listening. Thank you, Bill. And uh, thank you. We will talk to you next time. See ya. Thanks for listening to Range Minded. If you've got a comment, question, idea for the show, or any feedback, send us an email to podcast at iishooting.com or send us a message on our Facebook page. Just search Independence Indoor Shooting. Again, thanks for listening to Range Minded. We'll see you next time.